hello, hello, and you're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. We focus on an inclusive and open dialogue. I'm your co-host, Chris Sneed, and we have a great show lined up for you today about plastics and the circular economy. Yeah, and I'm your other co-host, Shane McKay, and we have a wonderful guest we've been really looking forward to uh, coming on by the name of Pietra Barczak. Piotra is uh, the uh, Senior Policy Advisor uh, for Circular Economy and Waste over there at the European Environmental Bureau. And we'll just read out his bio here before we welcome him on, uh, into, into the room here. So uh, Pietra is a Senior Policy Advisor for Waste and Circular Economy at the EEB. That's, as I said, the European Environmental Bureau. He has been working on these on those subjects at the EEB since 2013 and has previously worked at the Polish Ministry of the Environment. At the EEB, he is responsible for chairing the Waste Working Group that comprises EU-level and national experts with hand-on experience on waste and circular economy policies. He often organises events related to the circular economy package at EU, national, local level uh, with related partners. He is well-networked, sitting in advisory bodies of few organisations working on circular economy and waste policies, often uh, invited to review policy papers and reports related to waste and circular economy. The the collaboratives closely work with other NGOs and think tanks working on the circular economy, as well as progressive municipalities and businesses. Pietra... Uh, gained much experience in EU policies during the lengthy revision of the EU waste directives, advocating at each stage of co-legislation and engaging with various stakeholders. He also has international experience advising on waste policies in Bangladesh, India, Kenya, Oman, Balkans and Turkey. He has presented in over 200 events worldwide, including high-level parliamentary hearings um, before joining the EEB, he worked at the Polish Ministry of the Environment and in the Polish Humanitarian Action. So, Chris, this is <laughs> going to be brilliant. <laughs> this yeah. is really, really exciting to have like such an expert in this field who's been working on it for a long time. Uh, I, I think we should probably just get him in. Yeah, I think you're right. So we'll, we're going to bring him in. And Pietra, you're you? very welcome. Hello, hi, Shane, and hi, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Great. You're more than welcome. We're absolutely d- delighted to have you in. And i got to say, that bio is uh, quite impressive. You're, 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 uh, you've been really, you've been at this like for a long time. And I suppose just to get straight into it, I, I think I was really interested to know, like, how did you first actually become interested in this kind of work? Well, I, I think uh, many people were really in this topic much longer than me, and they they actually introduced me to the sector now, to the circular economy and waste. So, so it's nothing. I'm not so long in the in the sector, but it's it's true. It's been some time, and the circular economy field, the the, the concept uh, or the I, for, we can say a hype, uh, has been here for uh, maybe six, seven, eight years. That's precisely so long as I was here in Brussels. I'm based in Brussels because our organization is based in Brussels because we advise the many uh, stakeholders, but mainly the European institutions. Great, great. And so I suppose it's probably for, 
for, for people who haven't actually heard a lot about the circular economy, could you kind of get into that a bit and explain what, what, what exactly is the circular economy and, and like how does it function? And, and, and uh, our view is, is that we really need, we need a lot more focus on, 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 on this approach. So could you get into that a bit first, please? Mm-hmm. Okay, very, very simply, a circular economy is a contract is a opposite to linear economy, which uh, based uh, uh, the economy on the simple concepts of you know buying, uh, extracting materials, resources, buying them, you know, processing, and then uh, processing, pr- producing products, and then selling them to consumers so that consumers can use them, and then then they throw them away. Uh, again, and they become waste, and that is very li- linear. So there is no uh, no loop, uh, and the circular economy is the opposite opposite to that, where we see that materials have to come back to the economy, have to serve the economy again and again. Um, and it's not only about materials in kilograms, but it's mainly about value, so that the value of products is kept as long as possible. So that it's not only about uh, recycling; it's much more about uh, Keeping the value as long as possible, so keeping the, making products durable, making products repairable, uh, simply enjoying them longer for longer time, and also in, there are some principles we can talk later about uh, details of circular economy. But mainly, it's also about uh, sufficiency. Circular economy is also about sufficiency and serving everybody uh, on this planet. So uh, a fair distribution of resources, rather than only uh, serving some. Uh, mainly developed countries, industrialized countries, mm-hmm. uh, for for um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and 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 I mean, it's, it's we're, we're pointing out again. It's like it, it's a more. It's not only just sustainable; it makes a lot more sense economically as well. Like a, that kind of approach, where because you know, just to throw something out in the bin when when there, when there's still value in it, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense, really. Hmm. Precisely, yes. All materials have value, especially in Europe, uh, well, everywhere, but Europe is very much dependent on resources. We don't have much. We, we, have, we import a lot of resources, hmm. so it makes much more sense for such uh, regions as Europe, uh, where we uh, import a lot, to rather look at what we have already here, let look at the electronics, for example, and how we can extract materials from them, from those electronics that we already have for example, or textiles or plastics that you already have, rather than uh, taking them, uh, extracting them from somewhere else in the world, bringing them here. And and always, so uh, there are also economic implications to that. You know, we are very dependent. We are uh, Mm. on the prices of of those commodities. Um, And uh, COVID also showed us, the the whole pandemic showed us that the supply chains are very fragile. And... uh, Circular economy is one of the ways to secure for the economy um, continuity because the materials, the resources are here, would be here, and um, they would they would have much larger value within our economies already. And of course, there are also implications for the environment, so less extraction of resources. Mm. Also, um, like economically, it would provide more work as well because you'd have to have people reclaiming those materials and reprocessing them and. So apart from having to not buy it in, we'd also be, you know, keeping keeping more of the economy kind of localized. You know, mm-hmm. precisely that, that that's one of the principles of of uh, localized circular economy to create to benefit the value here. And as we said, the value is kept 
the, the materials have value, this value generates jobs. That's what you said, Chris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, the right to repair, I suppose, is that something you kind of come across a lot then in this kind of work? Of course, yes. Um, uh, so, in fact, the, the term you mentioned, right to repair, is very much uh, created by NGO, NGOs. Uh, it's not created by producers because that, that's, that has been a contrary of their uh, modus uh, operandi yeah. for many years. Yeah. So the right to repair, which is equally very quite popular in the States, uh, with, with few organizations there that uh, question big corporations, um, because those corporations make their products unrepairable or yeah. uh, only you have to use only uh, specific tools, you know, to address, to open their, their products or, and so on. Yeah, or the products are made in, are actually made in such a way that it's very difficult to repair things. Like they glue mm -hmm. things down. So to, mm -hmm. to make a repair, you actually have to break the, the products and I mean I mean I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are there are, are businesses and companies that would kind of argue no this is the most efficient way that we have to do it but is it really the most efficient way if you if it has to go in the bin instead of being able to like reuse even just components or part of the thing um so mm -hmm. yeah like the, the circular economy for me uh it's very useful and important uh, thing that as societies and cultures it's very important it's become a matter of survival almost actually and you know that it, it, it's kind of it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to, to be going against ourselves and we're, instead of tapping into this this extra resource that's that's kind of like untapped you know um so I'm kind of I'd, what kind of initiatives are we are we starting to see out of this circular economy kind of package approach as far as the environment but also um economically you know um and we were going to talk about plastics a bit but i suppose we can talk a bit about the broader thing as well it doesn't just have to be about plastics so like um what do you reckon on that like as far as initiatives that are starting to kind of so the initiatives can we can have different nature of initiatives. Some of them are business driven and uh, voluntary. There are companies, as you mentioned, there are companies that do uh, see a value, see value in, in, in this approach because of security of uh, supply chains and so on. Uh, also maybe marketing, you know, strategy. It's one of the strategies as well. But what we work mostly is the legislative initiatives. And that's where I, maybe I can focus on uh, at least for, for the start. Right. So yes, the, the European Union has recognized that uh, this approach is necessary. It's the only solution to address um, also climate change because climate uh, emission, uh, the, the greenhouse gases emissions are coming not only from the energy that we generate or the way we generate it, but also simply from the production of mostly most um, intensive uh, industries such as cement. Uh, aluminium uh, food also um, so so the European Union the Commission uh, and other institutions uh, put circular economy very high on the agenda and they came uh, with a few initiatives already in 2013 that's when I started at the EB and at that time it was called resource efficiency uh, but then it also transformed the definition more into circular economy there was circular economy package number one in 2015 that mostly focused on waste, so revision of waste directives, increasing the recycling targets for 2030 than 2035. So we have now much higher targets.
targets to achieve than, than we achieve today. That makes um, governments, um, that incentivizes governments to, uh, to put in place proper, uh, in, uh, proper legislation to, to reach those targets because those targets are binding. So I'm speaking about re uh, recycling, but there are other uh, measures that are binding, such as separate collection of waste. I, I don't know how it's in Ireland right now, but there should be a bio-waste separate collection for sure, paper, plastic, something that has been there for many years in some countries, possibly also in, in Ireland, or, you know, at least in some municipalities. We're, start, we're uh, starting to see more of it, but like mm -hmm. we're, we are pretty behind the curve. Like, what, Chris, what was it recently, the, um, the, the packaging thing that came in there, uh, but like Germany were doing it 20 years ago. Is it, what was it, was it bottles or what was it, Chris? I can't um, bottle refunds, was it? The, I think so. Did Aldi start to do it or someone like yeah, that? Yeah, Aldi started to do it. They have a vending machine where you bring your empty bottles and it gives you tokens or... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like they've been doing it for, in Germany for 20 years. Like, so it's just like, what's, what, like, I can't... Mm -hmm. So different countries uh, apply this at different level. Also, mm, because they are not uh, obliged to do this from the European Union. Until now, until 2018, when the legislation has been rubber stamped, um, uh, they were not obliged. Now every country is obliged. So now we will see more rollout of those uh, deposit return systems for packaging, as you said, said. Yeah. and they will be mandatory. So not only Aldi that is, uh, you know, doing this for, for because of, you know, their own voluntary approach, but all the companies will have to do this and also producers. And this is coming in Ireland as well, indeed, uh, also it, for it, cans. Sorry to cut across you, but how will that actually work? Will that be tax incentives or will it be like, what way does the policy work on that then? As far as, you know, the incentive for these uh, mm -hmm. companies and things, what is the actual incentive or the mechanism then? Okay, so I think the main mechanism is coming from the legislation, an obligation to collect separately to be very precise, 77% of plastic bottles and then 90% of plastic bottles separately uh, by 2029, 90% and 77 already in 25. Uh, there is no other way to achieve this target than the deposit return system. We, we cannot achieve it just in cur curbs, uh, curbside collection or how to mm. call it, door-to-door uh, -door collection because um, because, yeah, we cannot count and only put a blame and responsibility on consumers. This, this has to be a system and people will follow the system as the same as they follow in Germany. Mm -hmm. They follow the same, they achieve 90, 98 even percent of packaging separately collected, including cans and glass bottles. Um, this uh, system also opens door for more reusable packaging, re refillables. Because, you know, so far, yeah, we have some beers uh, that are in refillable bottles. But they are um, in a in a worse uh, position than other bottles on the shelves in the supermarket, which that do not have this deposit. You know, I, I mean, as a consumer, if I have to pay fifty cents more or twenty five, maybe I will decide to buy uh, just one way packaging. You know? yeah, because we don't have deposit. That's actually something that I've been harping on about for a long for a long time. Because we used to do that where you'd go in and you'd weigh out your ingredients into, your, into a container and, you know, you'd use the same container over and over again, like. The CAM Project's Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. 
If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. I mean, as a consumer, if I have to pay 50 cents more or 25, maybe I will decide to buy just one-way packaging, you know? yeah, because we don't have the possibility. That's actually something that I've been harping on about for a long, for a long time. Because we used to do that where you go in and you'd weigh out your ingredients into your, into a container and, you know, you'd use the same container over and over again, like. Mm -hmm. and that's for uh, that's for a packaging that is uh, we bring uh, from home. Yeah, we can, yeah. We can buy many uh, items in bulk uh, and we can see more and more shops all over Europe that sell, uh, deliver their products this way. But when it comes to liquids, uh, there are also ways to do it. Uh, I see shops where we can buy wine, uh, vinegar, olive in my own container. But but beers or any other, you know, um, yeah, um, yeah, beers mainly. We we need uh, uh, it's like a specialized container that that product needs, I suppose. Is it or that's yes, that sealed, and we have to return return it uh, so that it can be washed and refilled again. And the only way to return those is uh, is the deposit return system. But this is a kind of an obligation, but there is also an incentive. So the producers, uh, when they will have their product, their packaging back, okay, if, we, if they secure the take back scheme, then they will have the material back. They will not have to buy it somewhere else from China or, from, or elsewhere. Uh, they will have it back locally sourced and in a very clean way. Uh, because this is the cleanest way to collect uh, packaging. Yeah. Uh, so then, and when you collect it this way, very clean, then you you will fulfill the criteria of food contact materials, which are very stringent. Um, yeah, so that is the incentive too. Mm. Well, I, I think it, it makes so much sense, and that's what I, one of the things I love about the circular economy approach is. It it like it's gonna save money as well. Like that's and and there there needs there does need to be that incentive there for like companies and businesses. You know they, they, their model is based on you know they're they're trying to make a profit. So when when you speak to the problem on that level, that like hey, you're actually gonna save money if we take this approach. It, that's for me. That's very encouraging. Actually, you know that, that and it, it, it's a great solution to this, this this kind of problem that we're facing. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you can find also counter-arguments to what I just said. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, this system costs uh, money to be implemented. Okay. Uh, but there are also other things. Is it fair to say, though, that it's an investment? Like, we should, we, it'll, we'll see a return on our efforts, like... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we can see really, we have to see, as policymakers, we have to see very uh, holistically at the problem. Mm -hmm. For example, the muni municipalities, they spend millions of euros today to clean up their parks, beaches, riversides. With such a system, deposit return systems, they will save money on cleaning uh, up operations. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's one, uh, for, for me, uh, yeah, very strong argument to uh, to go for it. Of course, the positive return system will also not solve all the problems because there will be still, you know, I don't know other items, plastic bags for uh, for chips, uh, for example, that will not have the deposit. But then there is another tool called extended producer responsibility, which is an additional kind of tax that producers have to pay in order to cover all the end of life treatments, collection and treatment, and then disposal or recycling. And if those, this system is called EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility, has to work uh, 
has to be very efficient and the fees have to be higher also uh, in order to cover all these costs. And they, they can be also modulated. When I say modulated, it means that the fee paid by the producer will be dependent on the environmental performance of the product or packaging. So if the producer makes an effort and delivers their product in a reusable item or in an item that is very easy to collect and recycle, then this fee should be much lower for those producers as opposed to the other group of producers that are laggards in this manner, matter, um, and they will have to pay much higher. So you, you see here economic incentive again mm. to mobilize producers to go. Everybody wants to pay less uh, right, yeah. taxes and for oh, producers, yeah it sums up to a very high amount because they sell tons and tons of products and packaging. Yeah, yeah. The packaging thing for me now, it, it's something that I've, I've kind of, for a long time, I was really hoping we'd see some kind of positive kind of movement into a direction where we're not, and all this, like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of ludicrous, like, the amount of uh, packaging waste. I think actually it was, it was encouraging there, was it, um, I t didn't, Fran was it France that, Brought, brought in a new law recently, a bit, uh, de, de, um, like I think fruit and veg won't be packaged anymore in plastic. Um, I think in Britain they're, they're making similar moves. So we are starting to see things move, which is, which is great. So I suppose kind of relating to this while we're talking about waste and plastic waste and things like that um, is, is the issue of incineration. Um, of waste, and um, I know that's something that 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 it, it, you like to talk about, Pietro. So, would you like to kind of would we get into that a little bit now? The waste incineration stuff and how that's kind of working, and, and as far as I think maybe people don't realise sometimes that when they 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 think they're recycling, um, is is it, would that be a fair fair to 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 say that some of the stuff we think is going to recycling is just getting incinerated? Yeah, it's a, it's a big subject. Um, I don't know where to start, but just overall first is that the current system of waste management is designed to, to fail, to dispose. Mm. Uh, the way we collect, uh, the systems are set up, is not efficient enough. And the way um, that we, we create a lot of capacity for disposal, we create uh, huge incinerators, we, we invest in them. Okay, around Ber Dublin, there is also one huge uh, incinerator. And it will be there for many years to come because the, it has to pay off. So uh, naturally, we are in a lock-in effect, lock-in situation <clears throat> where we have to generate waste. And most, most importantly, we have to generate waste that is of high calorific value. And what is that? It's plastic. Okay. Um, also paper and also other items. But, but you see that we've created a situation where we are forced as a system, economic system. I don't want to say consumers because we don't, often don't have the choice. We are just no. given, mm. given a certain, uh, you know, in, we go into supermarkets and we see this huge amount of plastic and we, everything we want to buy is basically wrapped in plastic. So, so what France is doing is really, uh, is really a good thing. And it's coming from the, from the European legislation, um, uh, that is called single use plastic directive but some countries such as france is doing is going beyond the minimum obligations um and yes yeah, so coming back to incineration so we created this system that we have to feed those monsters uh, that burn 100,000 tons a year or more than 200 depends um for many years to come they they burn plastic but they don't or waste not only plastic but they um, they generate a little bit of energy but it's not a net gain. It is only recovering a bit of the energy that was needed to produce those items in the first place. 
So that's quite that's quite Europe, interesting. Like when you put it in those terms, like that's like obviously not efficient in any way at all. Like energy-wise, not at all. It reduces a bit the volume. I mean, uh, maybe by seventy-five percent. Huh? Twenty-five um, percent of the volume still remains, and hmm. worse than that, it remains in the form of uh, toxic ashes and slags, uh, which uh, which have to be disposed as well. They are disposed um, in a special landfills, much more expensive landfills mm. than uh, usual municipal waste um, that is not toxic, uh, first of all, I mean, uh, in principle. Um, so we are turning something that is not toxic, municipal solid waste, into, into a huge uh, uh, cloud of CO2 because whatever you burn is changing, mm. is transforming into CO2. So that's one thing. I'm, I'm even leaving apart aside the toxics uh, that are coming from from the stack. I know, yes, there are filter, filters on the stacks, uh, but they don't uh, filter everything 100%. There is there is there are limits, and they do um, obey those limit values. But it's still kilograms and yearly tons of toxic emissions that are allowed to be uh, to be put in the air. But st that's about toxic. CO2 is not filtered. CO2 is getting out from the stack. And this is only aggravating the, the the climate crisis that we are in. And well, that's, that's actually yeah. a great point because we do we're hearing a lot about CO two, but not as much about the toxic stuff. Both of those aspects are important, indeed. Uh, CO two um, is 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 the worst. Um, I mean, is a, is a is a toxic uh, gas I, when you look at the climate crisis, and and we have to avoid it at any cost. But of course, there are also locally produced generated dioxins and um, and uh, other gases that are are there. And then the slags, uh, the ashes. Again, these are toxic. Some companies uh, claim that they can use them for construction and roads. But do we really want to have roads uh, built from uh, materials that contain and and they will be contain toxic materials? Yeah, well, it's, it's going into the environment. Yeah, the rain, it doesn't the rain matter if it's a road like, or it's it's you're putting it into the environment. Like, but um, like the chemicals will leach out of the road over time as well and into the surrounding environment. Like, yeah, exactly. And weathering, it will be simply out again. Uh, even worse because not we will not be able to control it at all. Yeah. Hmm. So the incineration thing is that is are we saying like? much legislative stuff happening as far as that or like many many, many ways to kind of address that so yeah in the way in the um, directive european directive on waste waste incineration is still much less much lower than in the waste hierarchy waste management hierarchy than the recycling but it's up it's uh, higher in the priority than landfilling I am. We are not supporting landfilling. We don't want landfilling. Nobody wants it. It's, it smells. It takes space. But in view of climate crisis, maybe it's better, more important, more wise logic to store the carbon contained in uh, waste in landfills for many years to come, and and uh, in the meantime develop technologies to land to how we call it um, mine. Process, to mine. It, maybe. Yeah. There's actually um, a little bit of that going on at the moment where they're um, siphoning off the methane from landfill to use as a resource. Yeah, that's something we're going to get into actually and to ask you about is, is um, was it biomethane generation from bio waste or, or biomass. Um, so would you, is that kind of is that kind of is that going to help to address what where, where things are right now? Or are we going to kind mm -hmm. of see that become more uh, 
more common or? Yes. Um, so the landfilling has to be reduced to 10% by 2035. Yeah. Uh, and also we have to know that the biomethane in landfills is generated because we uh, landfill biowaste. Yeah. Biomethane only comes from the degradation of biowaste. There is no biomethane coming from plastic or metal that are landfilled. Yeah. They shouldn't be landfilled, okay? But if there is any biomethane uh, leaching from landfills, it can be captured, as you, Chris, uh, you said, but it's also dangerous because it, it will leach. It will leak in our house. I mean, it will emit yeah. into... Um, and the, and the methane carbon. pound for pound is worse than carbon dioxide for the environment. It is. It is, it is. Uh, but we have to look at the situation that is now uh, obligatory, binding, that 100% uh, of bio-waste, organic matter, kitchen waste, has to be collected separately. And the legislation also bans, uh, forbids uh, landfilling and uh, and installation of all bio-waste. It will have to be separately collected. So there will be no, theoretically, no more bio-waste on landfills. So no more methane on the landfills, apart from the legacy yeah? legacy materials that are still there. Uh, so in this perspective, if we have a bio-waste separately collected, which is a clean material, perfectly recyclable, compostable, nature knows well how to do it. This is actually a low-tech te low, uh, low technology, mm. uh, accessible uh, and uh, easy to deploy at lo local level, also community level. And th this uh, bio-waste can then be treated twofold. Uh, first, it can go through biomethanization, so to produce biomethane, exactly, that then will be burned, okay, for, for, uh, for kitchen or for, uh, for transport. There are, uh, in Sweden, there are buses that are running on methane that is uh, coming oh, wow. from biogas. Bio wow. But it's uh, many, in many places also. In Germany, is is leading in biogas uh, as well. Mm, so it, yes. is, it is a preferable um, option. But what comes, all, another product of biomethanization is not only the biomethane, but it's also the digested, the post-digested. So the, we call it a soup, of uh, or, or organic soup, mm. which can be used as a, um, a soil improver, fertilizer, basically. And then also can be composted if it's mixed with uh, garden waste. So, so we, have, we, we see a pure uh, benefit for nature, for soil protection, enhancement. Um, uh, by, by treating bio-waste uh, and also a very strong um, uh, measure to reduce methane emissions and all CO2 emissions uh, from, from uh, bio-waste. So that's very, very important. Yeah, and it's great. It, make, it makes so much sense, actually, um, to take something that's been treated as waste and turn, turn it into a resource. It's just, it makes so much sense. And uh, we, 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 had a, we had a great guy from uh, Zero Waste Ireland on here, Jack O'Sullivan, who refers to waste as kind of, it's, it's not really waste until it doesn't have a use anymore. It's just discarded stuff, you know? And I think that, that really kind of sums it up a lot, you know? And um, yeah, there's, it's, it, there's, 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 there's so much uh, stuff we could be tapping into. Um, so it really, really is encouraging to see these very proactive kind of um, well-thought-out uh, initiatives that are happening. And one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Pietra, is, uh, you know, it, it, it is really encouraging to see all this kind of collaborative kind of work happening across the EU on national and local levels. But I'm, I'm curious to know, do you, do you feel that the current efforts will adequately enough uh, address the challenges that, that you know, um, or do you feel like we need to, we, we really do need to be doing more sooner? 
as far as mm -hmm. implementing a circular economy strategy? Of course, we should have started many years ago, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, because uh, especially industrialized countries, you have, uh, we have uh, built a system that is failing and it's very difficult to change the system. It is a different situation in developing countries that are now building the infrastructure and the systems such as EPR system. They can, mm. they can uh, do it much better. They can leapfrog. Right. Yeah. But That's interesting actually. Yeah. <laughs> but we can we can do more. We have to do more. Uh, we we see climate crisis approach. Well, it's there already, and it's we we see the impact. The CAM projects, culture, arts, nature, and wellness, is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAM Projects, you can email us at camprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. You can find the CAM Projects podcast at spreaker.com, Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and a lot of the other usual spots. Well, Chris, that was absolutely yeah fantastic. Well, that was that was a great, great conversation, and we covered an awful lot of ground. But um, I think we have more ground to come back to as well on that. Yeah, definitely. It was really com comprehensive stuff, and yeah, we kind of uh, like we got a little bit deep into it. But I'm sure, like, we could go like there's a lot more. Oh, there's a lot more rabbit hole there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, that was uh, Pietra. Barcheck, and he is the senior policy officer for the circular economy and waste over there at the European Environmental Bureau, and they're based in Brussels. Yeah, Brussels, I think we have their website, Epagey. Yeah, here we've got it. There we go. There That's we go. Yeah. There, and the website address is www.eeb.org. That's eeb.org, and as we mentioned, you also find uh, uh, Pietra. On, I hope I got Twitter. it. Is that close enough for yeah, us? Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, yeah. he's on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And um, we'll flash it up on the screen there now. And for those of you who are just listening on Twitter, you'll find him at PBARCZAK. And LinkedIn is the same. So we got to say again, thank you very much to Pietra Barczyk, and we look forward to speaking with him again soon. Any, any, any final thoughts on that, Chris? I was really impressed by that. I wish we had more time. Yeah, like literally, we could have, we could have probably gone on for hours and hours. Like, but yeah. So watch, watch, watch out for that, guys. There's more coming yeah. on that. Well, watch this space. <laughs> watch this space. That's right. That's the new thing they're all saying now, isn't it? Mm. So I suppose we should roll the old, roll the old outro, folks. And uh, remember, please, if you can, help each other, help us all. That's it. Okay. All the best, everybody. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. Mm -hmm.